You're listening to Country Music Success Stories featuring Music City mentor J.C. Don Valeris. Now, here's your host, Candy O'Terry. It's pretty cool when you know the way to a hit songwriter's house because you've been there before. You just go down the road, you take a left, there it is, shaded by giant oak trees. It's the family home of Chris Lindsay and Amy Mayo. And it's fair to say that they are Nashville's premier husband and wife songwriting team. The two write and produce big hits at Amy Land Studios, nestled right beside their Spanish-style home. They've been married for 20 years and have raised three children there. We interviewed Amy last season and just loved her passion for what she does. So check out episode 13 for her inspiring Against All Odds story. And when we got the chance to interview her husband, Chris... It was an easy, um, yes, please. I mean, come on, the man has over 250 commercial recordings of his songs, selling 90 million records and counting. There is magic at Amy Land Studios. You can just feel it when you walk in the door. The walls are covered with hand-painted words of wisdom, and the vibe is pure artistry. In fact, Chris and Amy know a lot about what it takes for an artist to make it in Nashville. There's a thing that Amy and I call the talent pie. If you got 50% talent and 50% drive, you might make it. If you got 75% drive and 25% talent, you're going to make it. If you got 90% talent and 10 drive, you're not going to make it. As you listen to this interview, picture Chris and JC and me sitting around the same hand-painted old table where he and Amy write their songs, tossing out lyrics and creating melodies together. I started out the interview by asking Chris what he does to make sure that when an artist arrives at Amy Land, they're able to open up and let their talent flow right into the song. Amy and I do work with a lot of artists, and I've learned through the years that making people feel comfortable and creative and protected, it's a very vulnerable thing, especially for an artist who may not write as much, for them to come in and bear their soul. There's history in this house. Who owned this before you guys did? Before us, a family grew up here. Mel Tillis, older country star. He's passed now. Father of Pam Tillis, right? Father of Pam Tillis, married to Doris Tillis. Now, uh, Mel and Doris split up. When we bought the property, we bought it from Doris. Mel has a pretty salty history. If these walls could talk. Oh, yeah. So uh, Mel wrote lots of big country hits here. He wrote with Roger Miller here. He wrote with Chris Christopherson here. Later, a guy named Paul Kennerly and Emmylou Harris lived in this studio in which they wrote with Vince Gill, Marty Stewart, all that crop of people. And then when we took it over, we started working with Tim and Faith, Kenny, Keith, Urban. And uh, so I would say since probably the late 50s, This table we're sitting at, well, now this table was Amy's father, who was a big songwriter. So songs like Keeper of the Stars were written at this table. Amy took this table, and then we've written all of our hits at this table. So the property has has a long history of songwriting. Wow, it makes me want to just put my hand on here. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you know, I think there is something to it. Yeah. There's something to it. Um, The bones, right? Right. There's something to it. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of magical. The list of superstars who have written and recorded here is so long. Taylor Swift, Keith Urban, John Legend sat at the piano in that other room Mm -hmm. and sang All of Me. You must have so many stories about writing and recording sessions here at Amy Land. Is there anything that just comes right up to your mind that you could share with our listeners? I'm sure there are hundreds of stories. John Legend came in to write one night. 
we're kind of getting ready and sitting around talking. I got him a bottle of water, and he's like, hey, I just wrote a song. Y'all want to hear it? I'm like, yeah, man. We went out of this area into that area to play the piano, and me and Amy, my daughter Lola, was about three, sitting on his lap. He busts out all of me. Like he had just written it. It wasn't out. And I think that moment, it was kind of like, holy smokes. Because all of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges. All your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me. I give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning Cause I give you all of me And you give me all of you He's like, what do you think? I'm like, "Uh, we think it's pretty good I worked with a guy a while back named Mark Wills Another kind of unsung hero in country music an incredible singer. We had a record called 19-something that was a seven-week number one. And looking back now, I can see me. Oh, man, did I look cheesy. I wouldn't trade those days for nothing. Oh, it was 1980-something. He sang it in one take. I'll never forget that. I said, well, we probably ought to get another take. And then uh, he's like, it's pretty good. I'm like, it is. It is. And I'd never seen that before. Amazed. Recorded by Lone Star, 1999. Written by you and Amy and other songwriters on that tour. Was it just... Uh, Marv Green. Spent 21 weeks at number one on the Billboard Country Charts. Then it was a crossover smash at AC, at Hot AC, at CHR. I personally must have played that record a thousand times. Every little thing that you do, I'm so in love with you. us the story behind that song so amy and i and marv and a guy named bill luther banded together we weren't getting any cuts we were young and we'd been in town a couple years and it's a three or four year town for a writer minimum so we're kind of us against the world amy had a habit back then of booking a recording session for say a friday and having no songs and so about tuesday she'd start to panic and call me or marv or bill and I need some songs. Well, we're, we had already booked during the day with other writers, so we'd have to go over at night. Amaze was one of those. About two days before the session, we go over to Amy's house about seven, and we're just sitting around. We were talking about big love songs, power ballads. It just started, and it flew out very fast. None of us knew what it was. None of us knew it was a big song. It was a part of a group of power ballads we had done. We did fight a little bit about the title. Amy thought it wasn't really a title and wanted to kind of change it. Marv and I pushed back. 
And then the other thing is, and Mel, Melissa Matthews, our publicist and longtime Amy's best friend forever, she was there. Amy and I were falling in love at the time. And it was one of those just... The Gaga moments. Oh, my God. Well, and to be honest, it was just a difficult situation. Okay, we had worked together for four or five years. She had had two or three boyfriends. I was married. We were professional colleagues. Somewhere the line got crossed. It all worked out, okay? But back then, it was... It was complicated. It was complicated, and it was one of those horrible, beautiful messes that one finds oneself in. But out of that came a lot of songs, like Amazed. I wrote another one called I Want to Be Your Everything for Keith Urban. That was about Amy. There were a bunch. I want to be the wind that fills your sails And be the hand that lifts your veil And be the moon that moves your tides The sun coming up in your eyes Be the wheel that never rusts And be the spark that lights you up All that you've been dreaming of and more So much more I want to be your everything You know, what happens when you fall in love, too, is your heart opens up and out come the stories and out come the songs and mm-hmm. out come the emotions. Yeah. Take me back to winning Song of the Year at the ACMs for Amazed. They call yeah. out your name. They call out Amy's name. It was very surreal because you got to remember, this was my first single. I really didn't know what was happening. It was kind of all just out of control and great. I'm not going to say I wish anything was different, but I didn't really know what was going on. So when we were at the awards, I was sort of shocked Amy was about eight months pregnant, seven months pregnant. She walks, she's on stage jumping up and down, at which point Dolly Parton pushes her down and said, honey, you're going to have that baby on the stage. And then we all walked off, and I remember just sort of being in a daze, really. It was amazing, obviously. Let me ask you, how does the husband-wife co-write work? Well, it works, we think, because we were writing partners before. We were friends, then best friends. It really was a professional relationship. And we wrote great songs from the beginning. And that's just something that happens in the writing business. It's like life, you know. You have chemistry. Maybe if you worked in radio, you work with one DJ, it's okay. You get another one, you don't even know why. Our chemistry as writers was always there. So I think once we did become married and have a family, we had ground rules and and a way to do it. I've heard it a million times. I have no idea how you work with your wife. I could never do that. We can't even clean the garage without fighting. But I think it's because we did it before. Now, I will say, cut to 20 years later, life, kids, everything. We write maybe once every month together. We don't write as much together as we used to. Amy's been completely devoted to her book for several years. I think rightfully so. Kent Blasey, Karen Staley, Steve Dorff, Lori McKenna, all guests on this program. Their story writing started early in their childhood years in the form of poetry. What about you? Same. I made my living as a musician before I got here. Okay, a sideman, and I played in bands, and I played bass on the road. When I originally moved to Nashville, David Lee Murphy, artist, had a new record called Dust on the Bottle, which is still a very popular, seminal country record. His first promotional tour, I played bass for him. I am a musician, and in a lot of configurations as a writer, that's more my charge. 
But then I've been involved in songs where uh, I wrote a song with the Civil Wars called Poison and Wine, and I never touched a guitar. I did most of that lyric. Back to your question, I was an English major with a poetry emphasis in college. Where'd you go to school? SMU, Southern Methodist in Dallas. So you and I, both English majors, and here we are talking about your songwriting. Have you ever written a song particularly for an artist and hoped that they would pick it and perform it? Yes, and mostly it's a disaster. I'm trying to think if it's ever, ever, ever worked. I'm sure it has. But usually, Amy's pretty famous. She's told this story often. Amazed, she wanted Tim McGraw to do that song. And that, and she and I don't know, you met Amy. When she gets her mind set on something, it's like you're not pulling her off of it. So she was devastated when Tim passed. Lone Star was a new act that was actually struggling and nobody knew much about it. And Tim was really rocking. So that's a great example it couldn't have worked out any better. I think most writers say, you know, it, it's going to go where it's supposed to go and you got to let it go. You got to let the song go. You write it and then it's no longer yours. You just let it go. I've been told by many songwriters through the course of our show here that songs find their way home. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. What does it feel like to hear your song on the radio? And tell me the first time that ever happened. The first time it happened, I had a single... Right at the time of Amaze, there was a band called Sons of the Desert, and I had written a song called Albuquerque. I think it died a hideous death at like 50, okay? But I did hear it on the radio Didn't a couple times. did they sing back up for... Uh, I Hope You Dance. I Hope You Dance. That's right. They did. Good memory. Yeah, they did. A band out of Texas. Great, great band. So I heard that on the radio. So did you turn it up? I mean, what, oh, what Lord, happened yeah. to you? Oh, Lord, yeah. I put it up as loud as it would go. It, it was just... I And then I called Amy right after it. I, I think I might have cried. You know, you spend your whole life trying to make that happen. I've written songs since I was 12 years old. First song you ever wrote? 12 years old, I would sort of emulate Chicago, Foreigner, kind of do these kind of lyrics that were just like that. So I wouldn't count them. About 16, I started writing songs about girls I liked. They were usually these maudlin things, but they're very derivative. I learned so much from Amy. Even though I was an English major, as a songwriter, I was more focused on the music. When I met Amy, that sort of changed my life professionally because that's all she cares about. Most people, they're listening to the lyrics and especially women who dominate the ratings of country music and they want the words. That's what they're there for. They don't care about a chord change. I always used to say the kind of song that makes your hair stand up and it makes you pull your car over to the side of the road and listen to the song and then you feel like it's written for you. Mm-hmm. You must have so many people write you letters and emails telling you exactly that. Tell me the story behind the song, This One's For The Girls. Martina McBride, what a voice. Yep. This one's for the girls Who love without holding back Who dream with everything they have All around the world This one's for the girls 
me the story behind that song. We were writing with Hillary Lindsay that day, and she was already in here. At that point, we were writing with her probably twice a week. I mean, she was Brilliant living over here. Brilliant songwriter, yeah. Oh my God, she's amazing. Singer, songwriter, everything. So she was here. There was a lot of lyric already. To give Hillary credit, she really added a ton, sorted through it, did an amazing melody. I had a guitar going. I was just hanging on for dear life. I'm lucky to be on that song. I think I steered it musically. Tom Douglas had written some things for Martina, tempo things that really worked, and I borrowed some of his vibe, to be honest. There's an old Woody Guthrie saying, I would never trust my words in a melody that's not proven with the people. And I think there's some truth to that. Now, some people would call that plagiarism, but it's not really, because you're not going to steal it note for note. But there are certain things that just work, right? There's certain tempos, there's certain cadences that always work. I could show you a tempo like a 99 beats per minute. I could show you Michael Jackson, the Beatles. I could show you 20 songs that you love that were right on that tempo. Blake Shelton, On Mm. Fire. I love the song every time I hear that song. Tell Mm. me that story. That story is we wrote with the Warren Brothers, very (laughs) funny brother writing team. Were artists. When, when, when I met them, they were artists about as funny as a human being can get. So when you get to write with them, you know, you're going to, I mean, I will fall out of my chair laughing with those guys. I mean, they really, I'm not kidding. And it was another great day with them. I think Amy had the title. Was it here? It was right here. At this table. At this table. I sat right there and programmed. Brad sat here. Amy sat there and Brett sat right there and sang. That one just flew out. Guts of that song probably came out in five minutes. Tim McGraw and Faith Hill's duet, Let's Make Love, Mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, one of the most powerful love songs ever written. That was after Amazed. So we kind of got some traction. We kind of got some notoriety. And we started working on a little writer record called The March Project. And that's one song that was on that. We made this little CD, not to be famous, but to sort of cast ourselves as a band with the idea that we would break rules and not try to do what the normal thing and that was one of those songs i remember walking in one morning it just occurred to me i said well let's just write a song called let's make love and then of course everyone's like you can't say that and i sat down and i'm like well well yes we can i'm like why not that's dirty i'm like well yeah but what if they're married you know and i finally convinced them and we rolled and bill luther did an amazing job on that melody and Again, it just flew out, you know. And how about Tim and Faith? How did that come together with having them sing the song? I don't know how it happened, but someone thought it should be a duet. A funny thing, we went out to see Tim and Faith in Vegas about seven years ago. They do it on one microphone and they sing that song right in, just like you're talking. Let's make love.
before the show, Amy's talking to Faith. She's like, yeah, they've been married a long time. She's like, well, how do y'all do that if you're like really fighting and mad at each other? She goes, all the time. All the time. They'll be sitting there smiling and singing that song and on their breath, they're like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh my God, you just burst my bubble. Oh, sh- I'm sorry. Oh my God, I'm sorry. Only happens a little it. bit. All right. Well, you know what they say, though. A couple that doesn't fight is not really oh, yeah. in love. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of that, a 20-year marriage to mm-hmm. Amy Mayo. How many children do you have? We have three. What is the secret to a long marriage for two high-profile songwriters in Nashville, Tennessee? You know, Amy's great. That's the secret. For a man... I try to not give advice to people. Some of the younger male writers I work with, I will tell them, here's the strategy. Marry up, okay? If you have a hit song and you buy a new car, right? If you buy a brand new Mercedes and you've never had one, when you go to Target, you're going to park at four spots away from any car so it doesn't get scratched. If you take your money and buy a beater, you don't care where you park it. So if you marry the Mercedes, you'll take care of her. That's beautiful. It's true. Wow. So you want to marry somebody that you can't believe you got. You won't even think about doing anything that would mess that up. That being said, three kids in 20 years, we've had plenty of problems. We've been in counseling multiple times. There's been furniture broken. We're both pretty passionate, artistic people. When you talk about we're both very creative, passionate people, how do you respect that in each other and back up when you need to? When we're working, it's just a question of respecting each other's turf. If Amy insists on a lyric, I should listen to that because that's her wheelhouse and she's better at it than me. If she starts talking to me about chords or arrangements, then I'm like, okay, cool. I hear you. Let's try it. But maybe at the end of the day, I might pull rank and say, no, I think this arrangement's right. If we do this, it's going to be too long or, I mean, you know, little things like that. So we have areas that we're both the boss of. I think that helps. And then just respect. It, it's hard. I, I'll be honest. It is hard. And through the years, that has gotten harder. Because as a couple, there's water under the bridge. And then there are these three children. Are they musical? Right. Yes. They're very musical. Levi is 20. He's a rapper slash rocker he's fantastic he's going to be a big star period you'll hear his name i don't know how long i'm going to guess about three years how is that going to feel for you and amy amazing i'm already so proud of him i I mean i I see it on your face i I see it on your face our second son oscar he's a senior in high school wickedly talented better musician than me at 18 what does he play anything piano guitar drums he plays everything he started on piano he's just a a crazy great piano player he now plays guitar exclusively and he's going to be famous too our daughter who's 13 i think because they play and mom and dad she's trying to get her own area she's a phenomenal writer so either she'll write book i'm going to guess she if she were in here she'd say shut up dad you're not going to say what i'm going to do but i think she'll either be write books, journalism. She's talented at music. I've already seen lyrics she writes, but I think she wants her own thing. 
let's talk a little bit about your early beginning. You were born in Las Vegas, and mm-hmm. I have come to understand that most people who were born in Las Vegas, their parents came from some other place landing in that area. Is That's that right. true? You're That's absolutely your right. You're true. Tell you me got about it. that. My parents were from Texas, from North Texas, Wichita Falls, Electra, that area, oil towns. They had moved out. My dad was in the military, and then he got a job. Uh, back then, it was called Nevada Test Site. It's now called Area 51. So he worked there for six years, and I was born when they were out there. So he was out there where they were testing nuclear weapons. By the way, if you look into that, the United States government blew off over 500 nuclear warheads outside of Las Vegas in the 60s. Even as a little kid, I have memories because he would tell us when they were going to blow one off, and the whole house would shake. So you leave Las Vegas, you end up back in Texas. Mm-hmm. Give us a little picture. What was your family life like? Brothers, sisters? Yeah. What was the vibe uh, in your brother, house? Brother, two sisters. I would say I was very lucky. Middle class, just pretty normal. Great parents. My dad was, you know, an MP in the military and then worked out there. Strict? Yeah. And he is German also. His okay. mother is full German. So... You, you know, walk the line. Yeah, yeah. There's no messing around with my dad, but actually, I appreciate that now. And he was always a, he's passed now, but he was a fantastic guy. Early musical influences? My dad was big into, he was a big fan. Okay. Not a, not a musician, but a big fan. And we listened to Allman Brothers, Glenn Campbell. He liked kind of Southern rock, but he was very interested in songwriters. So we would talk about that. And, and early Elton John. He liked all, he, you know, all the stuff that was good. When you began to focus on music, on your songwriting at 12 years old, mm-hmm. <laughs> was there somebody who said, hey, you could be good at this? My uncle, my dad's brother, Dick Lindsay, he's still with us. He lives up in uh, Casper, Wyoming. He played guitar. Um, he, I couldn't get him to play last time we were up. But he, when I was a kid, he would sing these old Western songs. Old Shep and Round the Water Tower and all that kind of stuff. And we loved it. Loved it. He gave me a guitar. He does real estate now. He was in the oil business most of his life. He played for TCU, star football player, drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, got hurt in first year. And my parents were all very supportive. My dad was concerned. I think at one point when I left college, he's like, but you got to understand, no one where I grew up did this. Like Amy grew up with a dad in the business. So she, you know, there's some kind of like, yeah, this is possible. And this is how you do it. I had no clue. So you graduate from college. And then at some point you make your way to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Can you paint us a picture about what this town was like when you arrived here? I'd been living in LA for five years, which is just a very big town. And I was playing with an actor named Lou Diamond Phillips in a band out there for five years or four and then I moved here for a songwriting deal, which, by the way, the guy promised me a deal when I moved here. He didn't give it to me. That's why I was playing for David Lee Murphy. I'm like, I, I just moved across the country because you had a deal for me. and Now I'm not, but okay. And in the early days, I'm going to guess there were lots of disappointments. Oh, yeah. There was one Italian restaurant, one steakhouse, maybe two. I mean, just nothing compared to what this town has grown into. I mean, it was like you could just hear the wind blow down the highway. <laughs> You know what I mean? There was this like, maybe here goes a car, one, might be a while, you know? And uh, I remember just thinking it was, I loved it because it was so calm and peaceful after coming from such a big town. It was awesome. And it's great now. It's still a fantastic place to raise a family. I think far superior 
Nothing wrong with Southern California or New York, but if if a person were going to be in the music business and have children, I think this is better. David Foster famously said, good is the enemy of great. Mm-hmm. What does it take to be a great song writer? Honesty. However honest you can be is how good your songs can be. With yourself. Your podcast is called Pitch List. It's featured on American Songwriter Podcast Network, and it's all about what makes creative people tick. So what makes creative people tick? I don't have one answer, but I can tell you because I've done the podcast for several years now and I interview writers and we just kind of talk. It's a pretty broad discussion about anything and everything, but I'll tell you some of the things traits that I have noticed in very successful songwriters, okay? That if, if I see these markers in a young writer, I might want to sign them. High intelligence, ADD, slight mood disorder, not too much, hard worker. There's a thing that Amy and I call the talent pie. If you got 50% talent and 50% drive, you might make it. If you got 75% drive and 25% talent, you're going to make it. If you've got 90% talent and 10 drive, you're not going to make it. So this business for an artist is more about the eye of the tiger than it is talent because people get better. I'm not going to say any names, but there's some very big country artists that over 20 years have actually developed into fantastic singers and they get better by doing it. We became friends she worshipped Amy, and I mean, we were all friends, and I loved her. It was Taylor Swift when she started? I was started just about to ask about at fourteen. When I think of Eye of the Tiger, yep, I think of Taylor Swift. Yeah, so you know, being around Taylor Swift even at fifteen and saying something like she's not going to make it would just be crazy talk in any way. Maybe she's not the best singer in the world, whatever. Well, first of all, she's a hit songwriter at a level that we just don't see. Generational. You knew that right away, instantly. And she's a star the first time I met her. I knew it. I knew it. She left. 90 seconds later, I dialed up Scott Bruschetta, who was her record head, and I said, franchise artist, period. He's like, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and it's also, first of all, I want to be careful with Taylor saying Eye of the Tiger. That might come across as ruthless and all that. She is not. She is one of the most sweet, down-to-earth, caring, to a fault person I've ever met. You know, I'll tell you another big one is Kenny Chesney, another great guy. A lot of people I've noticed in the music business, stars or artists that get big, they're really great people because I think it takes such a team and such, the promoters, the radio people, if you've worked in radio, I mean, if you're terrible to radio people, they're not going to play your record. So it sort of weeds out the jerks. Keith Urban's another guy, fantastic. Tim, all of them, really. Garth, I don't know him, but I heard incredible stories about Garth. He's a photographic memory. If you met him one time, he'd remember your name 10 years later. Those skill sets are the ones that work. You flip on the radio and you say to yourself, I wish I wrote that song. What is it? Older songs like Galveston, Wichita Lineman, which oh, is my favorite. It's one of my favorite songs in the of whole all world. time. I, I love the Beatles. I love the Be- I think the Beatles are the the greatest songwriters in the last 100, probably 150 years. But after that, I love Jimmy Webb. So that's Wichita Lineman, Galveston. Recently, I'll give you one title. It's probably a couple years old, but I would want to write a song like this, and I thought it was great. It was called Break Up in the End, Cole Swindell. It's just, that's one I wish I'd, I, I think that's a master, master song. 
This is such a huge body of work. And as we start to come to the end of our interview, Chris Lindsay, what are you most proud of? This is going to sound corny. I am proud of myself that I think I am known as a nice guy. I think it's more important to be a great person than it is to be a hit songwriter. And I think, I, I think you can be a better songwriter if you work on that other part first. Final question. The key to my success in country music has been... Following my muse. Against the current, against what was happening, against trying to fit in. Chris, I want to say thank you so much for having us here to this magical place called Amy Land, and congratulations on the success of your career. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi, this is J.C. Don Valeris, your Music City mentor, and that was the unbelievable story of Chris Lindsay. I remember when I first moved to Nashville, I had dreams as big as the sky, and I wanted nothing more than to get myself into a room to write a hit with a songwriter like Chris. The only way I knew how to do it was to work really hard at becoming the best songwriter I could. And you know what? It worked. And I have a long list of songs that I have written with many of the writers whose songs I grew up listening to on the radio. I asked Chris about this very subject, and I can tell you firsthand that his advice is spot on because, well, it worked for me. When we all first moved here, there were a couple writers who were killing it. Gary Burr. There were a few names like that that were killing it. They won't give us the time of day. We can't get in there. And we're just trying so hard thinking that if we, that's the key. That's the key. After a maze broke, all those doors opened. Total bust. Didn't ever work. And it wasn't, they were nice. It wasn't anybody who's mean. So there was no chemistry. Nothing happened. So what I learned from it was you want to find your people. And it doesn't matter if y'all have never had a hit. Find your people and do your thing. You might get a writing date with somebody and you might get on a hit song. You don't have the skill set from that. You got a credit. but you get thrown in the next room and you don't know what you're doing and you haven't learned and haven't paid your dues, you're going to get chewed up and spit out. It's not about one song. It's not about getting in a room and having lightning strike while you happen to be in there. That's great. But what you really want is to build the muscle so that whatever room you get in, you can kick ass. Chris talked about working your you-know-what off and to get so good at writing songs that when the opportunity presents itself, you will be ready. But how do you get yourself ready? Here is my list of five ways you can begin honing your craft so that a writer like Chris will take notice and you'll be ready for the big hit co-write of your dreams. Number one, write a little bit every single day. I know I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. If you want to get good at something, the best way to do that is to practice. And you can absolutely practice the skill of songwriting. Carve out a few minutes every single day and write, write, write. Number two, book co-writing sessions. The best way to prepare for a writing session with a hit songwriter is to co-write with a ton of different people. The more you do it, the more experience you'll have sharing this kind of a task with another person. Write as much as possible with as many different types and styles of writers. And to echo Chris, sometimes it won't be the co-write with the hit songwriter that gets you a big cut on a superstar's record. 
It might be the song that you wrote with one of your fellow songwriting newcomers. Treat every session like it could produce a hit song, and it just might. Next, be prepared for any situation. One thing you'll learn as you begin writing more and more is that you can never predict the songwriting situation you're going to walk into. Sometimes your co-writer will come fully prepared with an idea or a hook ready to go. Other times, you'll be carrying the heavy load. There will be times when an idea will be thrown at you, and if your writing muscles are strong, you'll be able to catch that idea and run with it. Put yourself in lots of different situations so that you can be prepared for anything that comes your way. Number four, play your songs for other people. There really is nothing like working out a new song in front of a live audience. Something that you thought would work really well might not hit the way you thought when you're actually on a stage singing it. And that goes for the opposite as well. You might be feeling insecure about a certain lyric, but when you perform it for an audience, they might absolutely fall in love with it. Take any opportunity you can to share your songs with others. Finally, have your music business ducks in a row. One of the very first questions you will be asked when you start writing a song with a hit writer is what is your publishing info and who is your PRO? Make sure you are affiliated with BMI, ASCAP, CSAC, or SOCAN so that you can register your songs as soon as you've written them. If you do not have a publishing deal, that's okay. You can also reach out to your PRO about becoming affiliated as a writer and a publisher. Visit any of their websites for more information. To take your writing and your business seriously, this is a great first step. I promise, if you start working on all of this now, you'll be setting yourself up for a successful career as a songwriter. More wisdom you can use from Music City Mentor, J.C. Don Valeris, inspired by Grammy-nominated, award-winning, prolific songwriter and producer Chris Lindsay. Check out his podcast, Pitch List. And if you liked country music success stories, check out our website and subscribe to our podcast. Please leave a review and give us a follow on social at Country Music Success Stories. We've got more legends to meet and stories to tell. This is Candy O'Terry saying thank you for listening to Country Music Success Stories, where the stars welcome us into their homes and tell us how they made it in Nashville.